Thank you, Natalie, Carissa, George, Pastor Andrew. And thank you to each of you for the role that you've played in today's worship service. You might not have been on the platform. You may not have had a chance to sing a song or share a prayer. But just you here being here today has made a difference. It wouldn't be the same without you. So thank you for what you've done. I pray that the Lord would bless you on this Christmas day as you've taken the time out of anything else that you could be doing right now to be here, to put Jesus front and center. And so that's what I'd like to do. But first, I'd like to start with a little bit of a, I'll call it an icebreaker question. Out of curiosity, when did the Christmas season start for you? When did the Christmas season start for you? This is not a, a trick question. Was there anybody out there who waited until Thanksgiving or the day after? Let's go day after Thanksgiving. Anybody? Christmas does not start before Thanksgiving is over. See a couple of hands going up. Okay. Anybody who waited until a point after that? Maybe December? A few hands. Anybody go before that? We did. Admittedly, we are the crazy kind of people who last year celebrated uh, Haley and Heidi's birthday, November 1st, by putting up our Christmas tree in the evening. November 1st, we put up our tree last year. This year, we had a little bit more restraint. I think we waited until like the 3rd or 4th. So at this point, our tree's been up. We've been doing those Christmas stories for, uh, for weeks now, almost two months now. And so I start to wrestle with the question of, when is it okay to put it back in the box? I've been listening to that Michael Buble radio station for two months now. Is it, when do I stop listening to it? At what point do we stop doing Christmas cookies? At what point do we take down the tree, turn off the lights? At what point do we put it back in the box? I mean, by the time you come to church next week, it's going to be next year. Can we still celebrate Christmas in 2022? Or does Jeanette and her team have to get in here this week and, and tear all of his lovely decorations down this week? Because, man, we can't take it to 2022. This is not an official survey, by the way. Do it as the Lord leads you, Jeanette. You have done a fantastic job with this church. But when does Christmas end? I know some of you woke up this morning, you've already celebrated. Some of you are wondering when's Pastor going to be done with his sermon today so we can go home and celebrate. Anybody have a feast planned for this afternoon? You got a few hands? Yeah, yeah. We did ours, as is becoming our, our thing, early. <laughs> we take off on vacation tomorrow, so we did our, our Christmas on Wednesday. So we've been living on leftovers, so we'll have an empty fridge when we pull up first thing in the morning. That way we come home to leftovers that have been waiting for us. Don't want that. But we've had a chance to gather here. To sing songs, to tell stories. You may be here today. How many of you also came last night to our Christmas Eve? Wonderful. Sherry did such a fantastic job coordinating that. Thank you. I was blessed. Many others were as well, it sounds like. 
No, I'm good. Thank you, though. <laughs> but I want to take a few moments and talk about Christmas. And in fact, the spirit of the season. And it comes back to that question once again. When is it okay to put Christmas away? We're going to look today at the responses. I'm looking at my timer here. I know that many of you have meals that will be uh, ready shortly. I beg your forgiveness because I'm looking at eight Bible stories today. I'm kidding. Some of them are going to get grouped together. We'll, we'll, we'll be okay. But we want to take some time to get into God's Word unapologetically. We're going to take a few minutes in the Gospel of Luke. Take some time in the Gospel of Matthew. Take some time to put Jesus front and center. The Grinch can wait. Because it's Jesus' time now. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this opportunity we have to be able to gather together. And now to open your word. My prayer is simple. Speak to us, O Lord, and help us to listen. This is my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. I had the chance, as I was preparing for my message, to do all sorts of research, reading on things like the spirit of the season. And I stumbled across a really interesting article. It was written by uh, Crystal DaCosta, who is an anthropologist. It was published in Scientific American, and it's called, What is Christmas Spirit? What is Christmas Spirit? She opens by writing, it is the most wonderful time of the year. And by the way, this is 2016, so uh, this, this is a couple years old. But it is the most wonderful time of the year. Once we've had our fill of turkey and welcomed the, the holiday season in properly, we're constantly encouraged to get into the, quote, spirit of the season. This phrase is most heavily tied to Christmas in particular, but it would be hard to deny that similar themes aren't attached to the other December holidays, too. In general, we're encouraged to be joyful, charitable, generous, kind, and forgiving, which are all behaviors that run counter to our inclined responses to the stresses caused by holiday shopping. Anybody know those stresses? Holiday travel, and just the general holiday interactions. Where does the idea of Christmas spirit come from? And why does it hinge so much on behavior, she asks. She goes on to say that the Christmas spirit, in her estimation, is derived from three sources. If you want to see three shining examples of what the Christmas spirit looks like, here are the best places to look, according to her. One, Charles Dickens' classic Christmas story, The Christmas Carol. You see examples of what to do and what not to do, played out in the life and the, the life change of Ebenezer Scrooge. Two, they point to that joyous, jolly man who's front and center for Christmas for most people, Santa Claus. And all of the mythology that goes into the, the story of Santa, including that one time that he raised a human to be one of his elves. Three, 
They point to the decorations that show up around communities, houses. To them, that is, or to, to Crystal, that is another fantastic place where you can find the spirit of the season. The decorations. Isn't it interesting that at the end of the harvest season, as trees are dying, we put a tree front and center? Just a few days ago, we passed into winter time, crossing that, what is it, a solstice? Which marks what is supposed to be the shortest day of sunlight of the year. Wouldn't you know that this is the year, or this is the time of year that we're putting up lights, lights, everywhere the eye can see. And she says this. She says, because of Christmas decorations, one of the significance, uh, significances is that light drives away darkness. Now, this is a, an anthropologist writing in Scientific American. But man, it almost sounds exactly like an apostle writing in the Gospels. When she writes, light drives away darkness, it pointed me immediately to John chapter 1 and verse 5 to remind me of what Jesus was here to do, among other things. When Jesus, the light of the world, it is the light that shines in darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. Jesus is the light. Not just candles or LEDs. Jesus is the light that shines in the darkness. He is the one that we celebrate. If you're looking for a reason to celebrate this season, you don't have to turn to Dickens. You don't have to turn to Santa Claus. How about you turn here? And that's what we're going to do right now. I want to take a look at the response, because she says the response of the people is the most interesting thing. You get hit with the message of the spirit of the season and what we're supposed to be doing. And I can't help but notice that there's story after story of people who encounter the story of the newborn or soon-coming babe. And that's what we're going to take a few moments and, and examine. How did people respond to Jesus, who is the reason for the season? So we'll start first and foremost. Open your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke. Grab your Bibles, grab your phones, whatever. Open to the Gospel of Luke. Andrew's cracking open his brand new Bible. Those pages are going to stick together. We're going to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2. The Gospel of Luke, chapter 2, starting in verse... We're actually going to jump down. I'll tell you what, let's start in verse 1. That's fine. If you're in Luke, chapter 2, and verse 1, do me a favor and say amen. If you need just another moment, say have mercy. That's okay. I understand Android users take just an extra minute for their phone to load. Sorry, sorry. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that the whole world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quinarius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and the lineage of David to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling clothes, 
laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. Just short, simple, those are the facts of the story. Jesus is now here. Now what we're going to examine is how did people react to the Jesus who was here. The first group of people who arrived to do something magnificent shows up in verse 8. In the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch by their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with great fear. But the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you this day, in the city of David, a Savior is born, Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. You will find the baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and, and laying in a manger. And then suddenly there's with the angel the whole multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is well pleased. So the first response, the first message, is kind of cheating. It's angels. They knew what was going on. They understood what was happening. Did not surprise them in the slightest. Because they'd seen the plan of salvation playing out behind the scenes. They knew what was going on. They understood the story of what was happening. All they had to do was play their part and to show up and to be good angels. Because in the Greek, the word angel means messenger. Simply what it is. It's a messenger. And it was their job to bring the message of the good news. Your Savior's here. Time has come. Now, here's where you find him. It's interesting, though. Who got the message? These aren't the students of prophecy. Wasn't the high priest. The angels didn't arrive in the temple or any of the sanctuaries. Out in the darkness of the fields, found a group of lowly shepherds. Why would somebody become a shepherd? back then. And how do you think shepherds are reacted to in society? They sleep odd hours. They smell like animals. What are the odds that these are the upstanding, highly exalted members of society? What are the odds that these people have perhaps had a rough night, a rough week, a rough life? What are the odds that these are the people, by the way, in the outskirts of a down-and-out city who just needed some good news? The gospel arrived first and foremost for the people who needed it most. There was good news for people who needed a little good news. This has been a hard year. For many people. 2021 was supposed to be different, wasn't it? We were supposed to get back to normal. Society, economy, politics, even church, everything. It was supposed to be back to normal. And even accepting the global pandemic and its continuing influence on what's going on, 
This has still been a hard year, even if we ignore that. Families have been challenged. Parents and kids, parents and each other. Schools. Nobody's been immune from just having a hard year. From needing just a little good news. That's what we're here to do today, is to bring you a little good news. And the little good news is that we had a little good news show up. Is that good news? Not excited by a little good news? Anybody excited by the fact that the little good news grew up to be some great big good news? And we know that this good news is working out His majesty to do something even greater yet still. That He is the one who stands up to that big red bully as I shared in our children's story today. You guys need to hear it first and foremost. There is good news. There is a plague that is sweeping this world and there is a great physician who is about to do something about it. And I am not talking about COVID. I'm talking about sin. I'm talking about the great physician who has come to set us free from all that that has brought and all that we've had to deal with. The time is running short. Do you know your Bibles? You know the truth. You know the book of Daniel. You know the book of Revelation. And if you don't, by the way, we're going to be starting some grow groups next semester. Coming up shortly. Sign up for those. Daniel and Revelation studies coming up. Anyway, little commercial. The people who needed the good news received some good news. And what do they do with it? How do the shepherds respond, for example? They went to Bethlehem. They found the baby. They celebrated. Luke chapter 2, with haste, they found Mary and Joseph. They found the baby. When they saw it, they made known what they had been told concerning the child. And all who heard it wondered in the sh- what, what the shepherds told them. And in verse 20, and then the shepherds went back where they were, glorifying and praising God for all that they had seen and heard as had been told them. They went forth in response to this good news to be evangelists. To sing the praises wherever they went. They went to go and share it. It's one of those things when you have a life-changing encounter with Jesus. You can't help but want to share it. It's something I've said over and over again. When you have something that's life-changing happen to you, you can't help but want to share it with somebody. Think about how excited you get the first time you try a new food at a restaurant. Have you ever had that experience when you try a new food and you call everybody like, hey, you wouldn't believe it. I just had blah, blah, blah. Really, tell me about it. I know somebody sitting in this congregation today that I will not name by name who got all excited because at almost or roughly 60 years old, he, tr- he went out of his comfort zone and tried Kraft macaroni and cheese not too long ago when he was traveling. He is that level of a picky eater, but we love him anyway. You can't help but want to share when something exciting like that happens. And these shepherds had something exciting happen, didn't they? And so they took 
Christmas with them. Christmas wasn't just something that they experienced one time, they put it back in the box, they went home and they went back to their lives. They took Christmas with them, they didn't put it back in the box, they lived on living the Christmas spirit day by day as they went. They didn't put Christmas away. You know who else didn't put Christmas away? It's already been alluded to in our uh, baby dedication. I skipped over verse 19, but Mary treasured all these things, pondering them in her heart. A second response. Not as exuberant and and extroverted as, as shepherds going forth and praising, but no less important because it is just as valuable for those introverts who just want to sit and contemplate as well. For Mary, her response was personal. There's personal spirituality, there's personal development and growth as she sits and ponders these things. She treasures these things. She didn't take these things and say, oh, that's really nice, and put it on a shelf and leave it alone. She let it just stew inside of her and grow and mature. Eight days later, it's time for Jesus to be dedicated. They take him to the temple, and they meet two people. We first run across a man named Simeon, verse 25 of the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2. Now, uh, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him, and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. It wasn't just the angels who had, been, who had received a message. It wasn't just Mary and Joseph who received a message. Simeon was given this encouragement as well. And when he came in the spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought the child Jesus to do for him according to the law, he took took him up in his arms and he blessed God and he said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you've prepared in the presence of all the peoples for a light, for revelation for all the Gentiles and for the glory of your people Israel. And he blessed them. And he said to Mary, his mother, Behold, the child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel. He goes on and on with praise and public worship. His response is similar to the shepherds, but it's an act of public worship. You see, he recognized, unfortunately, that his time was drawing to an end. But he's somebody who'd taken Christmas out of the box a long time ago, hadn't he? He's somebody who had Christmas in his heart for a long time leading up to this point. He was ready for the hope of the good news of the gospel, of everything that that was soon to happen. And I can't help but wonder if, given the proximity from Bethlehem to Jerusalem, which is less than Loveland's to Fort Collins. And I can't help but remember just a couple of months ago when we saw the Blue Angels flying all over the northern Colorado. You guys remember that? Those of you who were here? You could see the Blue Angels for miles. I can't help but wonder if Simeon saw real angels from half the distance away. 
twice as bright, a thousand times as bright and majestic as those four or six aircraft we saw flying around. I can't help but wonder if he was just counting down the days to say, man, am I going to get to meet him? Is he going to come here? Here? Simeon wasn't the only one, though. There was another person who had the same hope, had the same anticipation. In verse 36, there was a woman named Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was also advanced in years, as was Simeon, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin and then as a widow until she was 84 years old. You're never too old to play a role in the story of Jesus. Just a side note here. There is another interesting fact about her. It is said that she is a prophetess. Pastor Getz is getting ready to share a sermon series on prophets coming up in the new year. We can talk about the, what it means to be a prophet. But I'll simply say this is somebody who has dedicated their life to full-time service of being the Lord's messenger and speaking on his behalf as it was revealed to him. And we'll unpack that more in our next sermon series. But for now, just recognize that this is a person who is ready to serve him as God has called And when she saw that baby, and that very hour, she began to give thanks to God, this is verse 38, to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. Where Simeon brought a song of worship, Anna gave a life of ministry. And that's what Luke's story records. At this point, the baby Jesus becomes the child Jesus, the child Jesus becomes the man Jesus, and continues on. And I know if you know the Christmas story, you know that I... Man, isn't there like another group of people who should be around here somewhere? Isn't there somebody missing from this story who should be showing up somewhere? Well, not in Luke's account. They don't show up until much later, but earlier in your Bible. Go to the Gospel of Matthew to find more responses. Matthew chapter 2 is where we find several more responses. I'm looking at the clock. I'm listening to your stomachs. I know, I know. We'll be fast. Because while all of this commotion is happening in Jerusalem and Bethlehem and all this is happening here, there were some other things that started to go on. We know, for example, in Matthew, if you've gone back to Matthew chapter 2, say amen. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem and Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who is born king of the Jews? Because we saw his star when it rose, and we've come here to worship him. We're going to deal with them in just a moment in the way that they responded to Jesus. But I want to point out that some significant time has passed. Whereas the gap between the shepherd, the birth and the shepherds was minutes, maybe hours. The gap from the birth to the meeting at the temple was eight days. We're talking here now from the birth to the arrival of the wise men, perhaps being upwards of two years. This is no more infant. The Greek word here is very much young child. He's no longer in the manger. It says that they'll find him in a house. And we'll also note that Herod knows all of these things and has all of the children up to how old slaughtered? Looking for Jesus? Two years. Which is why we believe that this might have been up to two years of a gap here. But you know what that says to me? 
These wise men, they might not have been there that night to celebrate with Jesus and the shepherds and Mary and Joseph and all of that, but they saw what was happening and they did something about it. And for them, Christmas did not end that night. Christmas began that night. And they spent the next two years preparing for their journey, preparing for what they were supposed to do. They were there to sacrifice their attention, their time, their resources, leave behind their home, come here and to bring gifts. They were here to sacrifice on behalf of Jesus, to give of themselves sacrificially. Because when they encountered the Jesus who was willing to give it all for them sacrificially, what was a little bit of time, a little bit of resources, wealth? What's a little bit compared to the one who gives it all for us? That's another response. But this gospel contains many more. Because as we stand here and we celebrate the positive responses of shepherds and wise men and prophets and, and all of that, we also have to deal with the reality that not everybody is going to jump to their feet and jump to action to Jesus. Because they found out what was going on according to the Gospel of Matthew. Herod heard about all of this. He saw the wise men. He says, what, what's going on here? When Herod heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And they assembled all the chief priests and the scribes of the people. He inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And they told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, so as it was written by the prophets. We find that the scribes and the priests knew, but they didn't do anything with it. Their response was apathy. Herod hears the story, gets it kind of twisted doesn't quite understand what's going on here, takes it personally, and his response is anger. It's an unfortunate biblical reality that people will look at all of the goodness going on, all of the generosity, everything that Jesus stands for. I'm not talking about everything the church stands for, because I'll tell you right now, churches have not been perfect when it comes to representing Jesus. But when it talks about what Jesus came for and what it's supposed to be about, their response, as was the response of the people back then, can also be apathy or anger. But those are the people who still need the ministry too. Those are the people who God loves too. Those are the people who need to hear the good news too. They might not have ever gotten Christmas out of the box. They might be a Grinch. They might be a Scrooge. But if you've heard those stories, you know what can happen. Somebody's heart can, go three, can grow three sizes just like that as they encounter the spirit of the season. I stand before you today. Many of you know my testimony as a former Grinch. When he came to Jesus, who encountered somebody who embodied the spirit of Jesus, touched my life, changed my heart. And so we should not dismiss, we should not ignore and neglect those people who just aren't ready yet, 
still give them an opportunity. Still pray for them. Don't back down, because you never know when that's going to make a difference. Now, last but not least, I'm looking at the clock. We've got to get wrapped up here. You guys have, have your meals ready. All your Instapots are set, I'm sure. There's one other response that caught my attention because it didn't catch my attention. When I wrote my sermon notes and I got my outline top to bottom, all of a sudden I stopped and I stepped back and I said, where's Joseph? Where's Joseph in this? He didn't have a moment like Mary at the end there where he pondered it in her heart. He didn't go off singing praises like the shepherds. He didn't show up majestically like the wise men. He didn't have songs. He didn't have nothing. Where's Joseph? Was he just another passive figure in the story? And then I realized that not every response is going to be grand and glorious. But that doesn't mean that every response, uh, just because it isn't platform worthy, doesn't mean it's not important. Because you saw, I actually found more responses from Joseph than anybody else. As God worked with him to say, hey, you guys need to go here. Hey, you guys need to do this. Joseph, you need to do that. And his response is simple, faithful obedience. In response to all of this, Joseph said, okay, Lord, what do you want? I'll do it. I'll let you look up for yourself all of those cases where Joseph shows up. But I go back to my theme question. When is it okay to put Christmas back in the box? When is it okay to get out the Rubbermaid tubs and start to put the decorations down? Hudson's already done a good job of ripping down some of my decorations. He's already ready to put Christmas away. And that's fine. In your time, when you're ready, take down the lights, take down the stockings, turn off the Spotify station. But don't put Christmas away. This past month has been special, hasn't it? Even for you people who waited until the day after Thanksgiving to start celebrating. Think about all that we've done. All the generosity. All the thoughtfulness. The intentional thoughtfulness that has gone into making the past month special. Think about the graciousness. Think about the chance to just get out. We're going to sing carols on our neighbor's doors. Guess what? We had neighbors that we caroled to come to our Christmas Eve program last night. Think about the times that you rang the bell to help raise a little bit of money for a charity that's going to do something good. Think about the cookies that you baked. Think about the intentional way that you organized your house around the, uh, around the season that celebrates Jesus. And now what? You're going to put all your Christmas decorations away and you're going to put away all your signs at your house that says, my house is a Jesus house? I'm not saying cover your house in pictures of Jesus. But it should be evident from the time that somebody walks into your house. 
all year round, whether or not there are poinsettias, that this house is a Jesus house. Because you guys have kept the spirit of the season alive. To December 26th, December 27th, and January 1st, and July 1st. Don't put Christmas back in the box. I joked with somebody last night. They're like, you didn't carol at my house. I said, you know what? I've got, there's enough love songs out there. I'm going to come carol at your house on Valentine's Day. I'll sing a St. Patrick's Day song for you. I'll dress in green and come sing St. Patrick's Day songs for you. Because all of the things that make Christmas special are not found in trinkets and packages and trees and lights. The things that make Jesus special or Christmas special are found in Jesus, his life and his character that we have been just bathed in for the past months. So don't put it away. We are about to go into a deep, dark, cold part of the year. As the sun sets at like lunchtime, we need a little extra light to break through the darkness, don't we? We need a little extra warmth and fellowship with our neighbors. So don't put Christmas back in the box. Get out the tubs whenever you're ready. But don't ever put Jesus away, is my appeal. And I'm going to give you a chance as we get ready for our closing song to do that. We are going to sing an average, good old, everyday song that you can sing all year long called Amazing Grace. Praise seems coming forward. But we're going to do it with just a little bit of Christmas spirit. You ready for this? You're going to sing Amazing Grace, but you're not going to use Amazing Grace music. You're going to use Joy to the World music. What does that mean? That means that our closing song today is going to go something like, instead of Joy to the World, Joy to the World, the Lord has come. It's going to be, Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. You get it? And now he knows why I, was, I, I do music with a mouthpiece. <laughs> I'm willing to learn bassoon so that I don't have to sing more often. That's why we have the praise team up here. That's why you're here today, because you're our congregational choir, and I want you to stand and sing our closing song, Amazing Grace, Joy to the World.
highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he loves. We thank you, Lord, for this Christmas gift that you've given to us of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Now, Lord, as we prepare to depart from this place, may we always, always keep you front and center. Bless us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.